You know, when you think about humility, I tried to, to put some scriptures together here that will, will show what humility is. I think so many of the times we mistake in humility for different things and what maybe God is talking about in humility in these, in these scriptures. Many times we see in our lifetime humbling experiences. Bonnie and I went out last night. We <coughs> went outside. It was just a clear, beautiful night. And we're kind of in some dark sky country, so we like looking up at the stars. And, and one of my things I want to add to our list, I guess, of, of toys to play with, I want a telescope. I want to be able to look up at those stars. But it's dark skies. We could see these magnificent uh, the little clusters of different stars some constellations. I want to get better at picking out some of those constellations and see also the Milky Way. So you forget sometimes to look up at these things and, and get humbled by God's creation. And it's good to do that from time to time, isn't it? We can see at times in our lives, there's probably been a time in your life when you were humbled. 9-11, I think. You all probably remember like me where you were at, what you were doing at 9-11. That was a humbling experience. I know where I was at. I know what I was doing. I know the, the day the breeze was coming out of the south into the hangar doors. And we were sitting underneath a, a 767, same thing that was flown into the buildings. And so for me, working at American at the time, and those used, being used as a bomb, uh, it was humbling for a lot, the employees that were there. And so we just fueled one up. And so we knew in the amount of fuel that was in the center tank, the wing takes, and uh, it was a bomb. So we felt bad about that. And we feel bad about certain things that go on that are humbling experiences. Have you ever come across in your time of your life, and, and I did this one time, I, from time to time I'll say some stupid things. <laughs> and I said something really stupid one time, and it was a humbling experience for me because a doctor kind of put me in my place. Bonnie was ha having culture, our son, 86. And... You know, at that time, you know, I, I, was it Lamaze classes you went to and you learned the breathing techniques and all that. And so we were going to go in and, and have that baby. And I go in and we've gone through the classes and, and all that good stuff. And, <clears throat> and I just was down there with Bonnie and the doctor was there and the baby's been, you know, delivered and no drugs. And so it, it meant to come out like, baby, I know you're hurting but it come out, does it hurt? <laughs> so the doctor stops exactly, it was like a soap opera, and the music stops, and everybody's looking at you. And it's like, I can't repeat what he said, but he put me in my place. <laughs> so that was a humbling experience. It's kind of a goofy thing to say. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was stupid, that's what it was. But I don't think that was humility. I mean, really, it's, I mean, yeah, it's a humbling experience, but we're going to look at what humility is. I believe what humility really means, and it's ultimately going to point, it'll point to Jesus. And it's going to point to him and, and how we need to have that same mind. And we'll get started with that. I think that we're going to look at something that it's not to start with. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, these six things, and we're not listing the six, as you can see, but I made the main point of the verse I want to look at. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Of course, we want to look at proud look. When you look at the opposite of something, it gives us a little bit of an idea to start with of, of what we need to be. We do contrast what we need to be and what we do not need to be. And it is not a proud look. If you think about that, if, if what does, again, it, 
you don't want to be that way. You don't want to have a proud look. So what does a proud look look like? I mean, do you stand in the mirror and look at yourself and say, I've got a proud look? Is it something that someone, a good friend, reminds you of, hey, you really don't need to be acting this way. Your heart's not right. And I think ultimately sometimes it will come there too. I believe a proud look a little bit at a time, even Christians will get there and never know they're there. You ever see someone who had a girlfriend and or a girl had a boyfriend and the whole family and friends and everybody said, he or she's not good for you. And you liked them so much or her or whatever and you're like, I like them so much though. But yeah, but that person's not good for you. And you really was the last person to know, right? I think a proud looks that way. I think through years, sometimes as a Christian even, we get to a point of a proud look, a proud heart, and the things in this life, everything is going just right. Everything is hunky-dory. I've got everything that I want, that I need. I'm satisfied. The satisfaction is of the world that's given me this. Nothing's going on. Life is good. And I believe we can rise ourselves up. A proud look literally is rising yourself up, exalting, exalting yourself. And we see that it's an abomination to God. You know, we have such an issue today <clears throat> when you think about sin, of looking at sin, some worse than others. A proud look, it was in all those sins there, it was listed first. Proverbs 3 through about 14 there, chapter 14, and somewhere it's maybe 17, there's list, excuse me, 3 to 17, it listed 14 things that we don't want to be like. And a proud look here is listed first. It says it's an abomination. When we look at the sins of homosexuality in this country, which was an abomination to God too, oh my goodness. And it, I mean, it's happening. It's, it's in all our worlds, in our families, some of us. We see it every day. Don't, don't have to accept it. Don't want to do no hate crime against it, for sure. But you don't have to, ex to, to accept it. It's, it's sin. But we shy away from this deal of, of the proud look, which is an abomination to the Lord. So to me, it's, it's so important that you and I, as a Christian, we don't let this arise in our life because, yeah, we can claim that heterosexual, Love my wife. I think that's what God intended me to do is if I was to, to marry him, I should marry a woman. But he's also not wanting me to have a proud look about myself. That things go along in my world today. I'm, I'm smarter than everybody. I got more money than everybody. I got a little bit of power. I got this. I've got that. And I exalt that stuff up in this world that all this stuff I have to my beckoning call. And I like it. And I'm going to go get me some more of it. And this life that we see, God has got a problem with that. So what is really humility? Well, let's get going here. Contrast being humble versus proud. Proverbs 16, 17, and 19. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Let's start with by looking at, again, at uh, contrast here. Humility or humble versus being proud. When we see these scriptures talking about 
the word humility, the, the strongs on that, you look at it, it's, it's, it's depressed. You think to yourself that you never think of, of humility as this depressed person. It's not saying that, like we know depressed today, which at times someone may clinically need help with. It's not that. It's, it's depressed is it's literally keeping yourself pushed down, bringing yourself lower. When it wants to rise up, you grab yourself and you bring yourself back down. Depressed. And to keep lowly, gentleness, meek, and all these good attributes go along with humility. So when you look at the Strongs, it gives us a little deeper insight into humility. You know, uh, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit. Again, haughty, uh, a proud look. That's uh, what that's going to mean. Um, you know, uh, some you hear say, the window through the soul, the eyes. If you have this arrogancy about you, eventually someone's going to say something to you. I don't want to hear any longer how much money you got and how successful you are and what everything that you have. I don't want to hear it no more. Why don't you have it and just not talk about it? When you see people that way, and they, that's great. You got it, but they are meek about it and they're humble about it. So when you see this haughty spirit come out, you can see where God is kind of going with this thing. Ultimately, I believe a haughty spirit and this humility and this proud looks, it's all going to come down to this with the Lord. And we'll see that here in a few minutes on some other scriptures, but we've got to get a handle on sin in our lives. When God says, you need to obey me on this, we need to obey it. It's being subordinate to that. It's being, I will do it. I will do it. And if we want that sin more and go after it, I think we're going to have a proud look. If we see the sin that is in our life that's a, a habitual sin, things that we keep returning to, and we're saying to God, I don't care, I don't think we have humility going on. Humility to me, from the scriptures, we'll ultimately we'll see this, is doing what God says. Not being self-willed. God punishes those with a proud heart. You know, if you have a proud look, you're going to have a proud heart. Proverbs 16 to 5, everyone that is uh, in proud in heart is abomination to the Lord. Though hand in hand, he shall not be unpunished. We see that this are things that God uh, will punish. I believe this proud heart and this proud look is a byproduct of sin in people's lives, ultimately controlling them to the point where they have said, I will not repent. I will not do anything because I like this sin in my life more than I like God and being obedient to those things. And we see it. We see it all the time where there's decisions that are made in people's lives that sin controls them. You know, being freed from sin is the most important thing that we can have in our life. Being freed from that, Jesus did that for us. I know a person very dear to me, married a few times, and she had some uh, husbands that were not good people and left those marriages and now living with someone because she don't want to get married, don't want that position again because she's afraid of what will happen. 
So we trade off life things happening that's really hard and we'll live in sin and we'll not let Jesus give him that chance to help us to say, you know what? I am not going to live a life of fear. I'm going to marry that man, do the right thing, but yet we will choose to live in a life of fornication. So they're not freed from sin. Again, they're doing it because they like that sin, I believe, to the point that it's, they like it more than what God's governing their lives. So humility will go towards helping us in this lifetime. God, <clears throat> excuse me, God will, will punish those who have a proud look because that proud look is a byproduct of a proud heart and proud actions. Paul told us to have lowliness of mind like Christ. We start seeing where humility really can be an example in Christ for us to look at, to be able to copy. Philippians 2, 2 and 5, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, when Paul is talking about this, this loneliness of mind, I think we can take to heart to have this loneliness of mind and try to copy Christ. He was serving all the time, and to be able to serve and dealing with people and, and, and tough situations like storms, like Garland was talking about, I believe this humility, this mindset of bringing yourself down when things approach you that are hard, I've visited with Sean about this before when you, on anger. When you think about anger, if you've made predetermined choices already in your mind, if you have situations come your way, you need to be this way. And that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Don't let that world that comes in, those storms that come in, get us all bent out of shape. When we think about the loneliness of mind, it's a good place to be. This humility is a good place to be in tough situations in our lives. Choose the mind of Christ. Peter exhorts humility in being subject one to another. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And what, uh, you know, it's, it's a contrast. When if, if we lift ourselves up in heart, life and God is going to trip us up. Somewhere, as Garland mentioned, and I think this is real important to looking at that lesson, and when you think about humility, if you lower yourself, God's going to exalt you. If you're picking yourself up in this life and holding yourself up here, you're going to get tripped up. Pride, we found out a moment ago, is there's going to be destruction. There's going to be falls to it. And I think that so many of the times when we get ourselves up to those expectations, uh, there will be a fall. So humble ourselves before God. How should we serve the Lord? Acts 20 and 19, when we think about being a servant, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of Jews, with all humility of mind, keeping the mind pushed down. You know, have you, have you been in a situation, it's, it's, you've got to catch yourself, and I do sometimes, is say you go into a, 
to be served at a restaurant. You get bad service. You get bad food. You go with the attitude of, you know, what's number one, I think now looking at it, what's fair? What's fair for, for the service I just got? But we need to do it, uh, whether it's a tip or whether it needs to be paid for the food, What we need to do it with grace. I've seen so many who choose, I'm going to get that meal free. And I'm going to, we've seen a deal at Saltgrass one time. A man beat a waitress in Saltgrass restaurant out of a steak for him and his wife. And I mean, we were tables from here to there. And he went on and went on and went on. And my supper was disturbed because I've seen pride of life and proud look coming out all over him. They saved their $50 a bill or $30 a bill, whatever it was, on the ticket, and then walked out and went and got into about a $200,000 uh, Mercedes-Benz van. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. If, if we're going to be fair in life as Christians, I think it comes out in every aspect of our life, in our business, in how we handle people, in what we do and say is a reflection on me as a Christian, on the church. And, you know, for someone who may be looking at me possibly later on, maybe uh, that person would be someone of potential uh, study. But yet he knows that I acted that way. Stood out, prideful. And that ain't, that ain't right for me to choose to live that way. If we're serving the Lord, we do it with humility of mind. When serving brethren, we should have humility and gentleness. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think about this, and I look at it often, because in Galatians, in this area, and I've mentioned this before in other lessons, if you back up to chapter 5, you see this, all the sins that have been listed there before them, and said, this is what you used to be. And if you do such things, it's, you're going to suffer eternal hell. You're not going to go to heaven. But, but the point was made there was this. It was he who does such things. It's, it translates practices. Practice. Habitual over and over again. That's scary. To me, sin has got a hold of you, and you are not freed. If we've chosen to get that old man out of our life, we have chosen to get the sin out of our life. But if we're still hooked up in that, and it don't matter which one of those sins it was, from adultery to drunkenness to lying to cheating or whatever, all those sins they list, about 17 of them, if we're guilty of it and we practice such things, then we are, we are wrong, aren't we? And if we have a no-repentance heart to change that, there is no humility in our life. This restore, you know, when you think about that, restore such a one, we need to get you, the people we're talking about back here in Galatians 5, we need to get you back the way you were before you got that way. We need to get you restored. David's got a car that is just unbelievably, I love that car, it's been restored. Wasn't always that way. Have you seen an old car restored before? Used to look that way, the before and after pictures they show you. An old car has been all beat up and they restore it, get it looking new back the way it was when it was originally new. Galatians 5 there, we want you spiritually back the way you used to be. This is what 
you've got to consider. This is what is for you to go on down the road. There will be no heaven if you stay in that state of mind. But if you're restored, and how do we do that? We do it with meekness, considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. When you think about sin in someone's life, bear you one another's burdens, that's lifting them up. It ain't pushing them down. It's not adding weight to their shoulders. And it's done so with meekness. Go in with love and say, maybe you know, we need to recognize some things and we'd, we love you. We'd like to study with you about what's going on. In tone of voice. We can't, we can't beat someone down and expect them to want to change their heart. And we as Christians must show a judgment, yes, righteous judgment. But we do so with love from God's word, not our own opinions and thoughts. A humble spirit helps us to forgive. You know, when you think about forgiveness, Luke 17 here in 3 and 4, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. You know, we see uh, a, it's infinite, isn't it? It's just continual forgiveness. And we see this in these scriptures here. That person come back and will say, you know, will you forgive me? We have a, an obligation to do that. A humble spirit helps us to forgive. I believe it shows us the mind of Christ, and that mind of Christ was, was one of love. Jesus' birth was humbled. When you think about his life, his birth... The way he entered into the scene, we'll look at that in just a moment, and we'll do a little comparisons of how he could have entered in to uh, Jerusalem. We see here it says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As you and I know, when we, uh, that how children went into a nice hospital, uh, everything was clean, everything looked sterile. Um, doctors, nurses, I mean, it's. You know, it's, it's a lot going on, isn't it? And then we see the, the birth of Jesus. And so we see that humble experience there that went on from his entry into this world as a birth. And the prophecy of, of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem to me is interesting. Zechariah 9 and 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, a coat, the foal of a donkey. A little young donkey riding a cross. And I've seen it in movies. He's kind of riding side saddle. I don't know if that's true or if he just straddled that little donkey, but he was on a little foal of a donkey. And we see him coming into Jerusalem. Can you picture that? Here it is in John now, the prophecy in the Old Testament. Now John 12, 14 and 15, his grand entry in Jerusalem was on a donkey's coat just like it was prophesied. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on donkey's coat. You know, Jesus could have chosen, and they had him, you know, could have chosen a, a chariot with outline and gold and big white horse and, uh, and the armor and come into Jerusalem as a king, is what they thought is what physical kings should do. But coming in on that little foal, the coat of a donkey. Just his entry is showing the humility of our Savior. Jesus taught the disciples about being a servant with a humble act. We look at these things that he did and we see the examples that he lived and we can start understanding what humility is.
John 13, 12 through 16. So after he had washed their feet, he had taken his garments and was set down again. And he said unto them, Know you what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so am so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. I believe he's teaching some humility here. That they've seen humility, they've seen service, they've seen love to go and sit down and wash these disciples' feet. And I don't think they probably were clean feet in those days on the streets that they had, the shoes that they worn. I would say that it probably was, was a chore to wash those feet. But he set in a great example. Humility is self-denial. Matthew 26 through 39, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I believe this is self-denial where we start really seeing the mind of Christ and how we as Christians, if something arises as far as a proud look, something that's opposite of humility, a proud heart, and sin in our lives where we need to say like Christ did, I need this out of my life. It's not my will to keep doing this. It's God's will to get me out of this. And it is. He wants us to be clean of these things. So we can see how Christ with this self-denial attitude, he was a man. He didn't want to die physically. You look at that, the, the suffering that went on, and he knew what that suffering was going to be. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But it's your will, not mine. So when we get bombarded by sin in our lives, God, it's your will, not mine. Jesus humbles him even into his death. Philippians 2 and 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Took himself all the way. He was faithful unto death. Humility is following Jesus and not self. Matthew 16 and 24, then Jesus said, or said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will take up, will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I believe the things in our lives cannot control us to the point that we forget God. Whether it be career, whether it be education, all these things are necessary, yes, to make a living and important in our lives, but when we trust it so much to the point that we take ourselves away from doing this work, We've made a, a, a terrible trade. Humility helps us to admit our faults. You know, when we think about this, uh, you, it's, it's really, again, it's a, it's a pride thing, and pride is against humility. If, if we're not tapping out with, with asking God to help us with sin, just saying, I can't take this no more, I need help, we've got a problem. We, James tells us, confess your faults one to another and pray for one for another that you may be healed the factual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Repentance is a wonderful change in your life. If you need it, you make application with God's word to do that because we can't go on with sin in our lives to the point that it may be a lot of the problems that we face in this life. Things that are holding us down to living our potential. Things that our children possibly may be seeing that will set an example against them. Things that other Christians that may see Things that are tearing us down to the point where God doesn't hear our prayers any longer. 
Those are the danger areas in our lives when we don't apply humility to help us to admit our faults. It's saying, I'm sorry. You ever have a hard problem saying, I'm sorry? To anybody? No pride gets in the way, don't it? And when we sin against God, it's no different. We need to say, I'm sorry. Humility helps us to repent, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I believe we look at all these things of humility and see the mind of Christ. It helps us to understand a little bit more about keeping the proud look, the pride, the things that work against us when it comes to a sinful heart out of our life. Jesus told a parable to some who trusted in themselves of being righteous. I believe I have found myself guilty in this same area. After I read it, I'll let you make that judgment for yourself too. Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to this house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, the world is, is full of, of different people. Some Christian and some not Christian. Some down on their luck. Some homeless. Some just strung out. Some, you know, situation very sad. Um, I'm going to tell you, I have found myself looking at some people saying, I'm, man, I'm so much better than this other person over here. I'm glad I'm not there. And I don't know, you know what, it could be uh, possibly some things happened in that man's or woman's life that, that they couldn't control, but a lot of it very well could have been brought on to themselves. But yet still, they are in that situation. Why are you here today? Why are you a Christian today? A lot of folks, when you, when you think about, well, I was, I was brought up, my family was, had me in church you know, every time the, the doors were open. And that's fantastic. That's, that's a great opportunity for a young man or woman to grow up in. But not everybody is there, and it's sad. It's sad that they're not. They grow up, one, with parents many times who are not leading them. Um, whatever reason, these, the schools today are fighting that tremendously. Children with, with parents who are not leading them the way they should. And they've gone a little haywire. Those things are going on in this world. Um, I could contrast your background and my background, and, and we see all these socially, all these people intertwined that are some living right, some not, some sinners. Big time, some not sinning as much, some trying to live righteously. See all that tied up together in a knot, don't you? And so when we look at that, we get this mindset, I'm glad I'm not that guy. And I, I think when we read this parable, we are holding ourselves up. I think we're lifting ourselves up.
And I think we need to be like this man here who says, have mercy on me. And I'm going to humble myself because I won't be exalted one day. Humility helps us to make a wonderful change. You know, if we have a situation, if we feel like we've had a proud heart or a proud look, if there's things that are coming out in our lives that are sinful that we are not fighting against, we see that humility helps us to make a wonderful change. We don't have to stay there. We, we can be what we need to be with Christ because he's given us an opportunity. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. When we accept Christ in baptism, and those sins that have been washed away, we have looked at, at doing this in our life, and we've made that decision, how wonderful it is. And if you haven't done that, I hope and pray that you'll choose to do that, that you'll choose to be baptized. If you've been baptized and you feel like you've fallen away from this, that that old man keeps perking back up, that these habitual sins, like they talked about in Galatians 5, keep popping up again. That old man has not been killed, has he? We don't need to serve those sins. We need to be freed from those sins. And humility helps us to get there. Humility is saying, I want God more than I want that sin in my life. It's a struggle, isn't it? It's like devil over here and angel on the other shoulder sometimes. If we get hung up in those sins that just keep grabbing us back again, those are the things that we have to fight against. Those are the things that the humility and that self-denial like Christ talked about, your will, Father, not my own. I hope it's all of our will that we make that change. I hope and pray that you do. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.